Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Now, before I start, I want to take a quick second to apologize. Things have been extremely busy these past few weeks, and I simply could not carve out enough time to release a show last week. Any longtime listener will know that I absolutely hate missing episodes. But sometimes, there's simply no choice. But I'm out to make it up to you guys with this awesome show I have lined up for you tonight. I have all kinds of creepy goodies to share with you this evening. But before we play our first call, I wanted to encourage each and every one of you, those of you in the San Francisco area at least, to stop by the Vogue Theater this weekend for the Bigfoot Bonanza Film Festival. I will be there representing both Cryptid Crate and Monsters Among Us. But let's face it, there are so many more cool things to check out rather than me. How about a screening of Small Town Monsters Invasion on Chestnut Ridge? Or... Maybe a presentation by none other than Lauren Coleman himself. I believe there's still a few tickets available for both Saturday and Sunday, so come on down, pick up a cryptic crate, a Monsters Among Us t-shirt, or simply just say hello. Head over to www.bigfootbonanza.com for tickets and for further info. But above all else, make sure you stop by the booth and say hi. Now as promised, I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening, so let's go ahead and get on into it. Our first call of the evening was inspired by a missing time submission from listener Megan in Tennessee. You can find her call back on episode 3 of season 5. Well, the following is Jude's very own experience with missing time. Hello, Derek. Um, I have called in before. My name is Jude Cochran, and I'm actually calling in regards to a story submitted in episode three by Megan about lost time. Um, the story kind of struck a chord with me because something similar to that happened to me, though a little bit more traumatic for me. About 10 years ago, when I was 19, I uh, was driving home from work um, probably about mid-morning when I was living in Georgia, and I hadn't had much sleep the night before. And all I remember from what happened is blinking. And the moment I sh- between the moment that I shut my eyes and I opened them, I had crossed the middle line of the road and was actually involved in a head-on collision with another car. Um, 
taking consideration of the last place I remember being on the road when I when this happened, I had to have lost at least three to four miles of time on the road, going at probably about 50 miles an hour. So not much time, but enough. Um, now, since then, I've done research into what could have happened, why this happened, because it altered my life drastically. Um, and the human mind does really strange things when it is deprived of sleep. I hadn't had much sleep the night before. I was didn't feel tired, but I apparently was. And there are events called microsleep um, and many different other things if you want to, someone wants to research it themselves um, who's ever experienced this, that sometimes it can be just a blink and you don't think you slept, but you might have. Anyway, um, that's my story. Uh, Hope it cleared things up. I'm not going to discount anything abnormal, paranormal happened or not. Things happen. Um, it just kind of really struck a chord with me, and I wanted to share that. Uh, thank you, um, and keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, Jude. I'm assuming you escaped the accident relatively unfazed since you were able to call in. And I can tell you we are certainly happy to hear that. I hope the same can be said for everyone else involved. We've all been in the position of drifting in and out of sleep while driving. Just out of high school, I had a job that required me to be in the office at 6 a.m. That office was 50 miles away. Needless to say, there were days when I didn't even remember pulling onto the interstate, let alone every mile of the commute. So forgive me for the skepticism here, but this encounter seems fairly cut and dry to me. Is it more likely that a strange paranormal event took place resulting in a loss of several minutes or that a tired teenager simply drifted off? After all, falling asleep unexpectedly can often result in confusion upon waking up, and Jude did say that he was sleep-deprived. Maybe I'm missing something in regards to the call, or perhaps the events that Jude experienced are so traumatic that a paranormal explanation is the only one that makes sense to him. Then again, perhaps something strange did indeed take place on that stretch of road. Something so bizarre that only the experiencer can truly understand it. Thanks again, Jude, for taking the time to share your experience. Our next story takes us to the realm of the spiritual world. This is Steve's Call from Missouri. My name is Steve. I live in northwest Missouri. I'd like to tell you a story about what my uncle Jess went through with renting a very old house with his wife and daughter. His daughter was only five years old. My uncle Jess and his wife would wake up through all hours of the night. Wake up because the little girl was playing around in the house, hide and seek, playing with toys in her room while speaking and having conversations with someone. This went on for almost a month with having to get up and put Carrie to bed. They would ask her who she was talking to. She always replied with my friend. My Uncle Jess, he just thought she made it up. You know, a pretend invisible friend. And they always would ask her why she always played in the dark, and she said because her friend doesn't like the light. Well, one night came around 3.30 a.m. Little Carrie woke them up while playing with her toys in the bathtub, having a conversation with her friend. No water in the tub, which made the noise much louder with, you know, toys banging around. Jess walks in and says, who are you playing with? She says, her friend, and gives the name Mary Bell. 
Jess asks, does she look like you? Carrie says, oh no, she's a little old lady. Carrie starts talking about how they were playing with her dollies and stops quickly and turns her head away from her dad like someone is in the tub and uh, interrupted what she was telling her dad. She looks back at Jess and says her friend's name is Mary Bell White, not just Mary Bell. Uncle thought that was weird, using a full name, but picked Carrie up and took her back to bed. Within the next few days, Uncle Jess had to pay the rent. While talking with the landlord, he got asked why he looked so tired. Jess said because he'd been up several times the previous night putting Carrie back to bed from playing with her imaginary friend, Mary Bell. The landlord's face went white, and he told Jess that there had been an elderly woman living there for years, and that she'd passed away in that house the year before, and her name was Mary Bell White. And after that, my uncle moved his family out of that house and in with my mother until they were able to find another house to rent. My uncle Jess never rented another house without asking if someone had previously died in the house, and if so, they moved on. I love your podcast. Would love to hear more police reports and calls to the authorities about the paranormal. Thank you. Thank you, Steve, for taking the time to share. Perhaps one of the creepiest tropes in the paranormal world is that of the creepy imaginary friend. I've heard countless reports of young children becoming attached to these invisible house guests. Oftentimes, learning of secret information from these entities which would be impossible to discern otherwise. Perhaps one of, if not the only saving grace with this type of phenomenon is knowing that the child often forgets most of this information as they grow older. It's almost as if, as a child grows, the connection he or she had fades out, eventually becoming a distant, hazy memory. And before we move on, I agree with Steve. I'd love to hear more reports from police officers as well. Perhaps there are a few men or women in blue out there listening tonight that have experienced something strange while on duty. If so, I highly encourage you to call in. The hotline number is 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And of course, as always, you can remain 100% anonymous. Thank you again, Steve, for submitting that creepy tale. While we're on the subject of ghosts and entities, our next call also deals with something strange and unseen in the home. This is an anonymous call from the state of Connecticut. Hi. <laughs> um, a big fan of your podcast. Um, I'm kind of a newer listener. I've probably been listening for the past month. Uh... I've had kind of an affinity for the paranormal since I was a kid. I grew up in Connecticut. I'm going to say anonymous. But I grew up in Connecticut, and uh, I lived in three different houses in Connecticut. And we moved... um, We moved into a house when I was probably 10. It was probably about 97. And the house that we moved into was new. Uh, and before it was built, I think it was an apple orchard. But it was in a place in Connecticut where, I mean, a Civil War fort was right up the street from us. So it was Civil War grounds. And uh, a lot happened in that house. Weird things happened in that house. Uh, but there was nothing concrete 
except for this one instance. Now, when I say there was nothing concrete, I mean there was always an energy in that house. I think me and my mother felt it more than anyone. You know, I grew up in a house of skeptics, and I, you know, I believe in the paranormal very much, but I also have a skeptical mind where uh, I always try to give the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time try to approach things logically. I believe that the paranormal are things that can be explained by science, but we just haven't found the answers yet. I think that's the most logical thing. I mean, to believe that we know everything that there is to be learned, I think is very close-minded, egotistical, and not logical. But as I said, there's many things that happen in this house, and you know, I don't know if it's paranormal. I don't know if... Uh, I know that a lot of things that me and my mother experienced could be related to sleep paralysis. I I experience sleep paralysis from time to time, and I've had weird experiences, but I always know that that's what's happening. But there was this one instance, and again, I don't know if this is anything paranormal. It could certainly be explained logically without delving into parapsychology. But we never found... <laughs> We never found an explanation for it. And this took place probably probably in 2001, maybe, maybe 2000. Um, I think I was 11 or 12 at the time. And it was the winter. Uh, my father had taken my sister, my brother, and some friends up to Vermont for a ski trip for my sister's birthday. And neither my mom nor I skied, so we stayed behind. Um, and they had they had left this day, and me and my mom decided we were going to go see a movie. We saw a very scary movie. <laughs> uh, it was a movie called In Dreams with I think Annette Bening and Robert Downey Jr. It was a great movie, very scary, thrilling. Um, and it was nighttime when we saw it, evening. Now, the way that my house was set up is. You would pull into the garage, and you could go through the house. You could go into the house through the garage, and you'd be in the basement. You had a finished basement. And when you went into the basement through the garage to your left, there was a door that led straight to outside. And then there was a staircase that led up to the main floor with a door. And then you were on the main floor, and then we had a third floor, and then we had an attic. And we had uh, two cats and two dogs at the time. The dogs were always on the main floor. They did not go into the basement. They did not like it in the basement. The cats were always in the basement. They did not go to the main floor because they were terrified of the dogs. So they stayed in the basement. That's where their food was. That's where their bed was. They were always, they were always in the basement. The basement door was always closed. So when we left, we left through the garage, as always, um, get in the car, leave the garage. That door that led straight outside was always closed, always locked. It was never questioned. Uh, so we went to see this very scary movie. We come home normally, you know, on the way home we're talking about how scary the movie was. And we pull into our garage, close the garage, go into the house through the garage. Now the first thing we notice when we get into the house is that the door leading straight to outside was wide open. Now, it being over a decade after this happened, I can't remember for sure, but I feel like 
we there was something that happened before we left where we were certain that that door was closed and locked. That door was always closed and locked, but I feel like I remember we maybe she had my mom took the garbage out. There was some way of knowing that we had closed and locked that door for sure. But of course, this being over a decade ago, I could be mistaken. Regardless, the door was always closed and locked. So we looked at each other with uncertainty, fear. Um, I know we were both thinking somebody must be in the house. But before we could speak the words to one another, we looked down and see that the dogs are at our feet. Now, before we even have time to collect ourselves and, and think about the door being open, we immediately jumped to how did the dogs get downstairs? Because the basement door was always closed. It was. The basement door was never left open. Um, so we kind of look at each other. There was definitely fear at this point that somebody was in the house. Um, we both grabbed, I jokingly grabbed, I think, a pogo stick. Like I was gonna, ready to go take on somebody with a pogo stick. And there was this a weapon. Uh, gosh, it was a social studies class, and we had to make a weapon using stuff that they would have used in the Stone Age. And I made this like massive mallet with this huge rock on the end of it, and it's tied, secured to a giant stick with these huge rubber bands. Really solid. Really, it was a weapon. Um, my mom grabbed that, and uh, so it was serious at this point. We were going to go upstairs and investigate. So you know, we're kind of slowly making our way, looking around the basement, um, checking the basement, making sure nobody was around the corner. The dogs are following us at our ankles. We get up to the top stairs. We open uh, the basement door. As soon as we open the basement door, the cats are the first thing we see. And then the question of, okay, (laughs) the cats are upstairs. The dog was downstairs. The basement door was still closed. So there's no doubt in our minds now that somebody had been in the house or was still in the house. So we searched the entire house. We searched the entire first floor, every closet, every bathroom, the laundry room, her bedroom, her closet, her bathroom. We go to 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 the top floor, look everywhere, everywhere. We found nothing. Not Nothing was out of place. Nothing was touched. Nothing was moved. Nothing. Um, we recongregated, you know, in our great room, our living room, and just kind of sat on the couch. And I remember my mom called my dad because the only thing we could think of was that my dad had come home for some reason. He forgot something. Uh, We called him. He was in Vermont. There was no, he did not come back. Um, It was not him. The only logical thing that we could think of was that somebody, we tried to reason, we're like, would a neighbor, maybe a neighbor came in the house. We thought something was wrong, but how would they get in the house because the door was locked? I mean, we sat there trying to figure out some way that this made sense, and we never, we never did. Um, we never, to this day, made sense of it. I still think about it all the time. Um, I mean, logically, yeah, somebody could have gotten in the house. Maybe they heard the garage door open and got scared and had time to run out before we got in there. But our dog, the thing is, is our dogs were not the type of dogs where, I mean, we had a, a chow shepherd mix. They were just not, they would not be okay with people. And I can't imagine people coming in would be okay with, with the dogs unless it was somebody that they knew. But that just that wasn't even, wouldn't even be a possibility. Um, the other things that we experienced in that 
house, I mean, you know, there'd be dream, weird things that would happen during our sleep. Um, that, that would be the majority of it, I think. There were definite, I, I was terrified to sleep in my own bedroom, and I don't know why. <laughs> I had American Girl doll. There was times when I would wake up and her head would be backwards. Um, I was, I mean, I was, we were, we were both scared in that house, and there was never any reason to be. And, um, again, you know, like I said, I had an affinity for the paranormal, so I read up on it a lot. And the theories that they had about traumatic, going through traumatic events or, or even puberty could created this force of energy that forever circulated in the house. That was something I always thought about because, there, again, this was the only tangible thing that really happened that couldn't be explained. But a lot went on in that house. That was more a feeling than anything else. But that is my story. I hope it's useful. If not, thanks for giving me the chance to call in. I love your podcast. I keep working on it. It's kind of my favorite. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you, caller. As it is with many of these reports of ghostly activity, there's often a logical explanation that better explains strange events without the need of specters, apparitions, and ghosts. And perhaps this is one of those experiences. Is it possible that either the dogs or cats managed to open the door? I've seen countless videos in which pets have mastered the art of escape. Perhaps a shift in the weather caused the door to not latch properly. If that was indeed the case, a simple push by either of the animals could have easily opened the door. But, as our caller states early on, there have been other instances of activity in this particular home, which, at the very least, lays the groundwork for some sort of strange activity to take place. Another aspect that our caller brings up is the correlation between puberty and the paranormal. This is a widely discussed topic, and one I think we should give more time on a future episode. There's so much there to unfold. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. Whether or not these events were paranormal, I can imagine the event was downright terrifying. Our next submission comes to us in the written form. The following was submitted anonymously. Hello. This didn't happen to me, but to my husband when he was about three years old. I'm submitting this because one of your other listeners' stories piqued my interest about seeing a chimp in their bedroom or something of the sort, and something about abductions. Forgive me, but my memory is a little hazy. My husband is a very logical man and tends to say things like, oh, it was just some childhood imagination, and stuff like that. I am just the opposite. Anyway, my husband told me a story about when he was three years old. He saw a green light hover over one of his family members, but disappear when he called out their name in fear. He had this idea that it was trying to kill said family member. He said he could never forget that feeling he had when he saw it. The same night that he saw the green light, he was in his crib when suddenly a cartoon-like creature that resembled what he remembers as Donkey Kong came through his wall after him. He said he didn't feel fear until it tried to grab him, and that's when he screamed. His mother ran into the room, and that was that. It was gone. He had many other experiences throughout his teens and early adult years, but he always said it was probably because of his quote-unquote experimentation. Let's keep it at that to keep it kid-friendly, but I'm sure you get what I'm saying. 
I would say yes, imagination and quote-unquote experimentation were the answers to these visits, except for the night terrors. Ever since I've known him, he's had these awful night terrors where he is sure there are shadow people in the room out to get him. He had also had many bouts of sleep paralysis. Maybe it is just a really active imagination or stress. He doesn't quote-unquote experiment anymore, so that can't be it. Or maybe it's something that he can see, but I can't. Maybe it's been with him his entire life. Or possibly some type of alien. Didn't one of your listeners say that some aliens disguise themselves as things familiar to you before an abduction? I don't know. Kind of gives me the chills thinking about it sometimes. Anyhow, just wanted to share. Thanks for the awesome podcast. You are my new listening addiction. Thank you. Thank you for that submission. As the submitter states, the story is very similar to a story I shared several seasons ago about a child that witnessed a chimpanzee in overalls walk into the room at night. In addition to that, I've also received reports of giant maggots, hooded figures, and even a 10-foot-tall insect sneaking into children's rooms late at night. Now, the submitter is correct. In the past, I proposed that these nighttime intruders may be alien abductors, using these cartoonish characters as a guise as to not panic their tiny research subjects. Outside of this bold claim, we could be simply dealing with overactive imaginations, or clouded memories of a half-asleep child whose brain conjured up characters from a recent cartoon he'd watched. Truth be told, I have no idea what these kids are seeing in these strange encounters. But perhaps, as more and more reports trickle in, secrets will as well. Hopefully, allowing us one day to crack this code. Thank you again for submitting this great little story. Our next submission seems to run the gamut of paranormal experiences. This is Michael's call from Illinois. Hey Derek, this is Michael from Illinois. I uh, thought I'd give you a cool little story about um, a UFO I think I saw when I was a kid, probably. Uh, I was like eight years old maybe. Um, it's pretty pretty young, um, but old enough to be, like, cognizant of, like, um, the theme of aliens and stuff like that, but, um, I wasn't, you know, crazy about it or anything. So anyway, uh, I regularly went to an after-school, um, like, daycare center that was just, like, down the street, uh, and one day while I was playing out there in, like, the big lot that they had out there was there's a big grass lot, and I'm looking up into the sky, and I can see a L-shaped uh, object way in the sky, far away, and it's spinning um, along, like, the, the turning point is at the short end of the L, and it's spinning like it's like a spinning around, I don't know how to describe it, um, but it's spinning like a pinwheel almost or something. So, it, and it looks like it's slowly going into the sky because it's getting kind of smaller and smaller, and so it's, you know, it seems like it's kind of going into the sky. I watched it until I couldn't see it anymore, um, and I never really brought it up or thought about it much up until like 
uh, like five years ago, I think I um, ended up having a conversation with one of my older brothers and everything just kind of like clicked and was like, oh my God, I didn't realize what I didn't know I saw, you know? Um, so, uh, and then, you know, kind of a strange thing about my older brother is that he had very frequent um, night terrors, or maybe not night terrors and stuff, but, uh, and I left you a, a different story uh, all about this house I lived in with, you know, a woman and then shadow figure. Well, my brother uh, lived in a different house. I, I've only ever lived in that specific house, but um, both my older brothers have lived in a separate separate couple ha houses, and um, he never had any uh, sort of uh, nightmares like he did until he moved into the house so that I experienced strange things. And I'm telling you, this guy experienced uh, aliens standing over his bed. He uh, had frequent, frequent dreams and nightmares of uh, spaceships and being on board these spaceships. And he always had like these crazy specific details about all the ships and its inhabitants. And um, there was one time he... Uh, um, my, I, I just talked to my mother about this a few weeks ago, and she said that one of the strangest details, and, and I find most significant, is that at a very young age, he was very, very specific that the green aliens were the bad ones and the grays were good. Green was bad, gray was good, or something like that. And just the you know specificness of all of it was really strange and... Um, it was just nice to have an opportunity to talk to, talk to him about that kind of stuff. Uh, and he was also deaf, so anytime he was having these horrible nightmares or something, and my parents would come in to wake him up, uh, you know, all he's feeling are these hands and being shake, sh shaken and stuff like that. You know, he's he's he can't exactly snap out of it so easily as someone you know just yelling your name or something like that. He was very immersed in these experiences. Um, the second little story I wanted to um, drop in on this one was, um, I guess the, the closest thing that I could call a cryptid uh, sighting that I've had. Um, I've never spent a lot of time in forests and stuff like that. and Only recently have I started spending a lot of time camping, but I've never really ever seen anything um, and I, it really took a lot of racking my memories and trying to remember these things to remember that there was one time I was riding with this uh, guy um, that I'm, I'm no longer in contact with but uh, he one a particular trait about him is that he used to have to wear um, full red contacts like that were that would like basically cover up his entire eye because his eyes were so sensitive to light that just regular sunlight was would hurt him uh, and damage his vision. So he claimed to have like super smelling and that he could see extremely extremely well in the dark and uh, he was kind of a strange character and I can't recall the circumstances which 
put me in this vehicle with him because um, we, were, we weren't that close, uh, but I hung out with his girlfriend's brother a lot. So there were a lot of times where we were together, but um, anyway, we're driving in this country road and I grew up in uh, actually a town that I heard mentioned on this podcast previously. There was a guy in season three or four who had a story about um, a town called Jacksonville. And um, that place has just like a ridiculous amount of spooky history and lore and stuff, like all sorts of crazy fun cemetery stories and stuff. But anyway, I grew up there um, and it's, there were cornfields and soybeans outside my high school windows. So you drive outside of the city within two minutes, you're in uh, the, the boonies, like, at night, it's completely pitch black. You can see all the stars. It's nice. It's one of the benefits of being in a rural area like that. So we're driving. Um, I'm in the passenger seat, and we're going down this country road. It's nighttime. He's got his regular lights on. We go over this bridge, and there's this uh, huge um, bat owl thing is what it kind of like looks like to me thinking really hard about what I saw. It was just larger than any bat that would be in, like, rural Illinois. Um, and it wasn't an owl. And the weird thing about it was, like, for me, I would just easily discount that as nothing really all that out of the ordinary. But um, this guy who could supposedly see extremely well in the dark was, like, he was pretty disturbed and very confused about what he saw. I I didn't know what it was, but it was what I remember more than what I saw was his reaction and how uncomfortable he was. And when we got back, I was like, yeah, we saw this like crazy big thing. He was like, yeah, I don't know what it was. He didn't really want to talk about it and would rather just go on enjoying the night. But um, it's those kinds of reactions that uh you know, you hear about, and I, it was one of the stories I heard, I'm sure, that triggered that kind of, like, oh, you know what, he was acting like that, and even though I didn't necessarily see something that strange, uh, I think he did. So, um, thanks for listening. Uh, I know all my submissions have been too, to have been pretty long, so um, I really appreciate you listening to them and uh, sharing them if you do, and um, I really enjoy the podcast, so... Keep up the great work. Thank you, Michael. Wow, there's a lot to unload here. Let's start with the object you saw in the sky. I might have a logical explanation for you on this one, and the description is the dead giveaway. Recently, I've heard several stories about flying objects seen in the daytime sky that later turn out to be boring old birthday balloons. Specifically, balloons shaped as numbers and letters. Perhaps what you saw that day was a simple Mylar birthday balloon in the shape of the letter L. This could explain the outline and the fact that it seemed to float upward into the sky. These things are cheap and seem to be found in any party store, and even dollar store. Now, as for the experience of your brother, I'll be upfront and say that I do not have much experience with the hearing impaired. I know several people with terrible hearing, but I don't recall knowing anyone that's completely deaf. But what I'm wondering here is if that particular ailment causes 
other senses, and more importantly, the sufferer's imagination to work overtime. What I'm getting at is this. Is it possible that being deaf caused his imagination to go crazy, filling in the information his ears were not able to? Now, it could very well be that that's not how the human brain works at all, but I can't help but wonder if there's some sort of correlation. And now lastly, the unknown flying creature. This one's very difficult to break down, especially with the limited details. An added detail that seems to cloud the waters is the fact that Michael admittedly had not spent much time in the outdoors. I say this because there are so many strange species out there that unless you are around them and know of them, they seem completely alien. Is it possible that Michael simply witnessed a barn owl, or perhaps a whippoorwill, or some other strange nocturnal bird? Some of those things are quite freaky looking. Thank you again, Michael, for taking the time to share these encounters. We will get to your other submission in a matter of weeks. I have a couple more stories to share with you fine folks, but before we round this thing out, a few announcements. The response to my recently launched Patreon campaign has been downright amazing. Those that are subscribed have already received their first bonus episode, with another on the way by the end of next week. Now for those that haven't yet signed up, 4 bucks a month gets you two additional episodes and at least one video a month. So what are you waiting for? Simply go to patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and sign up today. I'm always in need of stories, so if you're sitting on a great one, please don't hesitate to call in. The hotline is always open and always free, at least stateside. That number is 1-888-608-NIGHT. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. Don't hesitate share today. I had a few donations made to the show over the past couple of weeks, so a big thank you goes out to Addie L. and John S. Thank you both for your very generous donations. Without contributions from fine people like you, in addition to our Patreon supporters, the show would not be able to continue. So, thank you. And lastly, there's a new show I want to tell you guys about, but don't take my word for it. Here's Tony from the Confessionals Podcast to tell you more about it. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. And many thanks to Monsters Among Us for having me on the show. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. Alright, let's get back to the show. The following written submission was sent in anonymously. Hello Derek, I love the podcast and I thought it would give you an interesting story, but wish to remain anonymous. So this takes place in 2010. I was 24 at the time and I lived in a two-bedroom, two-story cabin in Georgia and worked as an officer for a police department in a university town. It was a normal day of calls to scenes much like any other day, and I was relieved when my shift ended and I headed home but stopped by a liquor store and got myself a 12-pack of beer and some cigarettes. It was a humid day and I got home around 5.30pm. I quickly turned on the TV to watch some soccer and chill out. I proceeded to crack open a well-deserved beer and sat on the couch watching three games that evening and drinking a few beers. I got up and walked out on my deck and lit a cigarette, 
I then unzipped my fly to urinate and proceeded to do my business as I looked up at the tree line, which was probably 20 to 30 feet away. As I looked up at the tree line, which was probably about 20 to 30 feet away, I saw a very tall humanoid standing still, as if he got caught. I blinked a few times and realized that I was not seeing things, and continued doing my business while staring at the creature in disbelief. I proceeded to zip my fly and walk back slowly inside my house, and lock the doors and close my blinds. The next day I walked out to where I saw it and the pine needles and soil seemed depressed. Having gone to an investigator class in college, I knew someone or something had been there, but I didn't know what. I do know this, that was the fastest I've ever sobered up in my entire life. I left my local PD and have become a state investigator since. I have seen some interesting and odd things and hope that I will be able to share them with Monsters Among Us at a later date. Best wishes and thank you. Thank you for that submission. It is unclear exactly what this creature was, but it certainly seems like the suspicion is that it's of the Bigfoot variety. And with the numerous sightings the state of Georgia has experienced, it's safe to say it's not the only one to come out of the Beach State. Now, I really enjoy stories like this. They manage to stay creepy and interesting without all the cliché details you sometimes find in Sasquatch encounter stories. It's direct and to the point. There was something there, it was large, it left tracks, and I don't know what it is. To me, that's nearly textbook. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. I really do enjoy the Bigfoot stories. And that brings us to the final call of the week. Tonight we round things out with Floyd's call from somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. Hi, my name is uh, Foy. <clears throat> I live in the Southern Appalachians. It's where all my mother's people are from. Uh, my grandmother was one half Cherokee, and I don't know if you're familiar with this legend of the little people that live in these mountains, but I had an occurrence when I was a child that, uh, that has stayed with me um, since that point. As, honest to God, truth, real experience, um, that I can't explain. Um, uh, we were here, we li- I was raised in Savannah, Georgia, and we were in the mountains. I live here in the mountains now, but we were, we were, li- we were visiting the mountains then when I was a little boy. And that was back in the day when you got kids, kids took a nap during the day. And my grandmother was lying on her side facing me in the bed. The bed was up against the wall. And I was, I was, uh, she was closest to the wall, and I was, um, uh, she was facing me, and I was, as a little boys, uh, five-year-old boys will do, I was popping up and lying back and popping up and lying back and just wiggling around, not wanting to take a nap because I was in the mountains. I wanted to play. Well, I popped up one time, uh, the last time, and... So, my God, to this day, I remember it just as vividly as uh, as I can see these mountains out of my window right now. A little fist, about the size of a fist that you would imagine on an elf or a little person or a fairy. And fairies aren't great in Celtic legend, people who settle these mountains. But a little fist came up from the crack between the wall and the bed. 
knocked three times on the wall and went back down. My grandmother sat up and looked and just put it off as me bouncing on the bed. It wasn't me bouncing on the bed. I remember this. It wasn't a dream. I know it wasn't a dream. Um, because I wouldn't go back to sleep. I wouldn't get back in that bed. I, uh, and um, you can research. You can Google the little people of the mountains and the Cherokee uh, legends. Um, but I do a lot of hiking and camping up in these woods. I live in a cabin way uh, up in the mountains. And uh, I have yet to come across a little person hiking in these mountains. But I have, uh, I do have an experience of uh, ape grunts and hoots that I can't explain that I'll call back with one day. But I was listening to a call about a little guy that uh, that had come out of the uh, of, of the bush in Canada, and it just reminded me. And I've been meaning to call about this for since I started, since I found you. You have a great show, wonderful show. I listen to it every day in the morning. I'm catching up. I'm a new listener. So, uh, anyway, my name is Foy, and thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Floyd. Funny thing about this call is that just the day before, I received an email from a listener asking if I've ever heard of the little people phenomenon. I explained to the listener that I'm familiar, but that I don't know a whole lot about the topic. She expressed her interest in hearing such calls on the show, and we left it at that. Not 24 hours later, Floyd's call came in. Great timing, Floyd. To dive into this subject a bit further, the following is a new segment from WLOS out of Western North Carolina. For years, stories have been passed down about Cherokee little people. As legend has it, they lived underground. News 13's Rex Hodge joins us from the Western News Center. Rex, a local author has a new book out about these little people. Does she believe they exist? She does. Mary Joyce's book is called Cherokee Little People Were Real, and she says there's evidence to prove it, but others aren't so sure. My giant curiosity. I mean, little people that uh, nobody seemed to know about. Mary Joyce started collecting notes more than a decade ago about legends of little people in our western mountains, finally putting out a book, Cherokee Little People Were Real. They were here before the Cherokee. She says the Cherokee came from the Great Lakes region thousands of years ago, arriving to find little people who lived underground. Would tend their gardens uh, at nighttime by the moonlight, and originally the Cherokee called them the moon people. And she says the Cherokee adopted them. Joyce bases much of her book on the recollections of two men who grew up hearing little people's stories, claiming to have seen evidence, including tunnels near older buildings at Western Carolina University, like the McKee building, built in the 30s. And these tunnels, I guess, were like a network. I don't doubt that they are telling the truth, but I just haven't seen any evidence myself. Jane Eastman is Western's director of Cherokee Studies and works in the McKee building. She ran excavations near the building between 2003 and 2005 and found Cherokee homes. What I didn't find was any evidence of tunnels. I don't 
have any reasons to doubt other people's beliefs and, and understandings. And they do really believe that these things do exist, and they're only about two feet tall when they're fully grown. Cherokee history lecturer Freeman Owl has spoken to Eastman's classes about the little people. He says many Cherokee believe in them and their existence. They well develop this belief in these little people just uh, like people would develop a belief in God. Reporting live tonight from the Western News Center, Rex Hodge, News 13. Now, before you scoff at the thought of these little humanoids sharing our forest, keep in mind that Homo florensis, a species of human that only grew to be about three foot tall, lived in Indonesia as little as 12,000 years ago. So, even if they're no longer with us today, their existence may be alive and well in the verbal history of our native tribes. Thank you again, Floyd, for that fun little encounter. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Thank you to Warren Pond Abbott and Addie Lloyd for their hard work and endless contribution. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu, Coag, Antitector, and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.